ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program and happy 1st of December. If you're in Alice Springs this afternoon, I hope you are well after that wild storm blew through town yesterday. It was pelting down, hail coming down, winds ferocious, everything. And, uh, and it just took down my huge acacia tree that you can see in the front yard. Yeah, nasty stuff. We'll get an update in a moment on how the cleanup is going around the Alice. Also today, you'll hear about some research the seafood industry is doing on how to attract and retain more female workers. And because it is the 1st of December, in a moment on the Country Hour, we'll be speaking to a long-range weather forecaster to try and find out when the Territory can expect its first monsoonal burst for the season. This is all coming up on today's program. Big show. Let's get into it. We are broadcasting across the Territory on the ABC. And g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. We start today's program down at Fisherman's Wharf in Darwin, where Greg Newman and his team have spent the morning unloading fresh Spanish mackerel. With the wet season kicking into gear and Christmas just a few weeks away, Greg tells me this will be his last catch of the season. Uh, yeah, g'day Matt, uh, good to see you again. Uh, this is our last unload for the season, getting uh, the product through to uh, the customers before Christmas. Yeah, we'll finish off this week and tidy the boat up and uh, yeah. Call it a year. 2023, yahoo. <laughs> So for Spanish mackerel, what sort of year has it been like for you? This year has been pretty challenging there, Matt. Uh, we've had uh, this onset of this El Nino. Uh, it's, it's given us uh, a little bit of a uh, different uh, environment to catch, um, certainly in the Gulf, uh, with that large wet season last year. Um, it lingered into... Uh, the early part of uh, the winter months and uh, it uh, that warmer water hung around and it sort of put the fish into a different uh, pattern and it took a little bit before you know things started to settle and uh, our season was average uh, uh, this uh, particular year the challenges were the more on the economic side, uh, the impact of higher costs, input costs and higher... Diesel's not cheap, is it? Diesel's not cheap. And it's an expensive place to uh, operate out of uh, the Northern Territory because of the vast uh, distances. But all in all, uh, everyone uh, made, a, made a good pay and, uh, and the customers were happy. A little bit challenging on the marketing side also. Uh, well, last time I saw you... You were flying That's Spanish mackerel to market. How did that end up going? That was okay. Uh, we did okay. Uh, we made a, a, a few mistakes with the logistics, but uh, once again, it was more economic uh, pressures that, uh, ch- uh, you know, uh, with uh, uh, the uncertainty, you know, with the input costs. And uh, in the Sydney markets, the price went down considerably uh, for some reason. And... Uh, the challenges there were um, were quite, quite strong, but I'm not disappointed. The resources there, 
Um, it worked well. You'll have another go next year? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Melbourne and Adelaide were great. It was just Sydney that let us down. Um, and we're looking into uh, uh, sending to Singapore. Uh, Singapore is the same uh, cost as sending it to Sydney and there's no uh, it's a direct flight so and and the differences between Sydney and uh, and Singapore there's uh, you know 52 uh, wholesalers in Singapore and there's only 22 in Sydney so I'm hoping for good things there and uh, yeah let's uh, let's just see what happens we've got a trip planned to uh, into next year early next year to go to Singapore and uh, yeah, a bit of a meet and greet um, and also I've got some support through uh, FRDC and the Seafood Council to uh, help with that uh, 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 you know logistics there with uh, government requirements you know so well let's see where that goes well, that's exciting it is exciting um, you know I I draw my energy uh, from these younger kids and uh, hopefully uh, it stays with me for a little longer. <laughs> Great segue, Greg. Great segue. Let's go, let's go and meet some of uh, your crew. Uh, we've got uh, Floyd here. Floyd, welcome to the Country Hour. How did you get involved in the seafood game? Uh, so I've been fishing for around six years now. So being in the seafood industry and and working on uh, working in multiple different fisheries and multiple different boats it's uh it's got gave me the skills and the experiences um to be able to run a vessel uh to maybe venture into running a business uh with in the marine industry uh, but that's all come from working in the seafood industry and what do you love about it i love boats so i think that's the majority of it um and just what what I get to see, uh, what I get to, to witness, and around the world around us, um, the people I work with. Uh, in, being in the in the fishing industry, it's like a big family. Like so, if you go, I've worked all the way around Australia, and I know, know a fair few people all the way around Australia, and I still stay in, stay in touch with them all. Just as being a fishing industry, we all we also like to talk about the same thing. That's boat and fishing. Um, <laughs> When you come back for Christmas holidays, do you go fishing? Oh, I definitely go fishing. Not to the scale of fishing. Or just This year has been nine months at sea for me. So I'll go home and I'll enjoy myself a little bit. I'll do a bit of wreck fishing. Yes. Um, but I'll definitely be jumping back on a boat as soon as I get down there. I'll be going out in the river and enjoying myself. It's been a long year, hard year. But well, we'll have people listening going, nine months at sea, how does he cope? Nine months in a boat. How would you answer that? Oh, I reckon it's just passion, I guess. I I prefer to, to be out at sea, and I think, well, the passion is boats, so I think that makes it easier for me. And I've, I've, I've sort of said to a few people, and a lot of my mates, they just go, how can you do it? I just go, oh, well, there's food, there's... We're looking at everything around us. We're catching fish. We're happy. Just and being a part of something. The seafood industry, it's being a part of something that helps us all out. We we put food on the table. And let's finish on food. You're in the Gulf. Sun setting. You got fresh mackerel. What do you do with it? How do you cook it up? Well, recently I've been going a bit sashimi because. Uh, with our fish, I know it's uh, real good quality and A-grade fish, so I slice it up, 
get a bit of soy sauce and off I go. And then Pamela, she's uh, she's in the kitchen and knocking out some five-star meals for us. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. That is Floyd, a Spanish mackerel fisherman living the life. He's been fishing for nine months, but now getting a bit of a break over Christmas. And he was telling me that during the break, he's off to do his Master 45 certificate, which I understand means when he gets that certificate, he'll be allowed to command a vessel up to 45 metres long. So taking a break, but still doing some studying, pursuing a career in the seafood industry, and we wish him all the best. G'day, Sam Nowen from the Darwin Aquaculture Centre. Been managing the trials for oyster production on Goulburn and Tiwi Islands. You've got to love a territory oyster, and you're listening to the Country Hour. Yep, and on the topic of seafood, Charles Darwin University has started a research project that will investigate ways to grow and retain the number of women working in the Northern Territory's commercial seafood sector. It's estimated that just 25% of the Australian seafood industry workforce are women. To learn more about the study, I had a chat to Professor Natasha Stacey from CDU. Well, we do know that um, worldwide that women play a really important role in fisheries and aquaculture, but... There's been a number of studies conducted um, over the last five to ten years that have shown that there's generally been a sort of gender blindness in women's involvement in fisheries and aquaculture and that women's roles and participation have been undercounted. Um, We've had a body of work over the last um, couple of years working in places such as Indonesia and Timor-Leste looking at um, women's engagement in fisheries and opportunities for improving um, women's participation in the value chain. And that kind of led led me to think about, well, you know, we're doing a lot of work overseas in Indonesia and, and Timor-Leste, but what's actually happening here in the Northern Territory right right in our, in our backyard? And at the same time, um, uh, the Northern Territory Seafood Council um, had also been thinking about, you know, opportunities for improving their retention and increasing women's engagement in uh, the growing commercial fisheries and aquaculture centre here in the Northern Territory. So on something like this, how do you research it and potentially create change? Yeah, so we sort of um, identified uh, sort of three main areas that we'd like to to focus on in this project. The first one is really to develop a sort of historical understanding of women's participation in fisheries and aquaculture in the Northern Territory, particularly since the sector started to to grow um, from the 1950s and 60s onwards um, here in the NT. There really hasn't been any comprehensive um, investigation or documentation of that. So first we wanted to sort of look back um, about how women have been involved um, in the sector and what are, what are their experiences. So we're anticipating that, you know, we'll have um, some opportunities in the new year to put out a call for, for people who may have, you know, had experiences over the last few decades and want to participate in, in that part of the research. The second part of the research is going to look at uh, the nature of women's current participation in the sector by looking at uh, topics such as, you know, what roles um, women are holding. There is no relevant um, up-to-date statistics on uh, how many women are 
participating in the sector currently, what kind of roles um, they are participating in. And this sort of then will also allow us to look at um, what are some of the challenges people, women currently face in the sector? Um, how can we um, address some of those, those challenges through opportunities um, in the future, particularly within that context of the, the opportunities available for, for sector growth in the future? And then the third part of the research is really then trying to um, look at some of the, the policy and governance frameworks around um, regulating the, the sector and, and um, some of the gender issues that could be strengthened or improved to support uh, more women in the sector and, and hopefully come up with some, some recommendations mm. for industry and, and research as well. And this is for aquaculture and the wild court sector, is it? Yes, yep. yes, we um, we do hope to, to focus and we'll probably um, take a couple of case study approaches and, and um, do a bit of a deep dive into some of the, the wild catch and or aquaculture centres. Going into this, what's the gut feeling on why this industry doesn't attract and retain as many women? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, there is some initiatives underway through the through some of our partner organisations that are also um, looking at undertaking some industry-wide consultations to allow um, women to participate in some activities to identify um, some of these constraints. Um, but you know, there's a whole range of range of reasons, um, which are often sort of similar to what we see in in other sectors. Um, you know that women women's roles um, are often sort of informal, um, supporting their their husbands or their male partners. You know issues around um, you know having kids and you know the the limitations that that can create in terms of managing a family and being able to um, you know work um, around some of these really long hours and locations that fishing sectors involved in. Well, it's. It's early days, of course, in this research. Um, look forward to chatting more about it, I guess, in the in the new year, Natasha. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks very much, Matt. It's Natasha Stacey, who's a professor of communities and livelihoods at Charles Darwin University. This study is in partnership with the NT Seafood Council, Women in Seafood Australasia, that organisation, and also the FRDC. This morning when I was at Fisherman's Wharf, I caught up with Pamela Kennedy, who's been involved in the commercial seafood sector for a couple of decades. And I asked for her thoughts on how the industry can attract more female workers and what she loves about the industry. I've also loved boating and uh, grew up fishing recreationally. Um, and then I met Greg and went fishing with him. So uh, I've been fishing with him for the last 20, 21 years, roughly. Um, and I'm still here, so it's pretty good. has its moments. It's pretty hard work, but um, showing my age a bit now. <laughs> Oh, 20 years in any job is a long time. We're here at Fisherman's Wharf in Darwin, and let's face it, it's a very blokey environment. There's blokes everywhere here. What do you think the key is for this industry to get more women involved? Uh, well, these days, I think women have taken uh, more, well, not more seriously, but as an equal. Um, and... 
pretty much I feel that way on the boat. You're expected to work pretty much as hard as the blokes. You can't lift as heavy things, but um, and have just as much a say and drive the boat and do your watches and um, you've definitely involved. My job ranges from cooking, pulling in fish, packing, bookwork. Yeah, it's a lot of variety there. In terms of the lifestyle, what's that like? Beautiful. So we see some really amazing places and uh, wildlife as well, sharks and crocodiles in certain spots and uh, beautiful crystal clear water. Can't stay in for long because uh, <laughs> I want to yeah. keep all my five fingers and ten fingers and ten toes. Um, yeah. So uh, for, for women listening to this, young and old, who have always maybe thought about a career, a life in the fishing industry, what would be your pitch to them? Pamela? Oh, well, it's, you definitely see a lot of places. We stop in different towns and cities. We're back here in Darwin. The money's good. Um, and then you have quite a length of time off to go do whatever you'd like to do. Preferably go on a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> and stay on land for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Solid ground. Have a lovely Christmas, Pamela. Thank you very much. Yeah, big thanks to Pamela Kennedy, who was a part of the crew there this morning at Fisherman's Wharf, unloading those fresh Spanish mackerel. It is 13 to 1. You are tuned into the Country Hour at 5.30 this afternoon on ABC Radio. Make sure you catch this. Tales from the Tinny. That reel was nearly smoking, that first initial run, and it was a massive wahoo. Mine's a German lyrics called the Stickenbuschack. He's going to attack. He's going to attack. My daughter's crocheted me a little, uh, what I call the sack, and inside the sack are a couple of big ball sinkers, and that sort of hangs either side of that longer bit. Subscribe to the podcast. Disgusting amount of fishing-related irreverence. Fishing line, hooks, sinkers and lures. What was it called again? Uh, Stickenbuschack. Or catch it from 5.30 today on ABC Radio Darwin. Yes, only three episodes left of Tales from the Tinny. Don't miss that one this afternoon. Fishos, cattle producers, farmers. I think anyone living in the Northern Territory wants to know how this next month is shaping up in terms of rainfall. When can we expect that first monsoonal burst of our wet season? We'll put this question to a long-range weather forecaster next. The thunder rolls. It is the 1st of December and the wet season is starting to fire up. I've just been looking at some of the monthly rainfall totals from November just gone here in the Territory and there's some big numbers here, big numbers and fairly widespread. So Pearl and Gympie on the Tiwi Islands, it had 251 millimetres for November. Whew. Adelaide River Post Office recorded 228. Watt Airs had 222. LaBelle Downs Cattle Station, 206 millimetres for November. Delamere recorded 193. Daly Waters, 156. Tipperary Station, 136. Further south, Territory Grape Farm had 86 millimetres. Super Jack Downs in the Tenamai region recorded 65. This is all for November, just gone. But what can we expect from December and beyond?
Brad Jackson is a long-range weather forecaster with the Bureau. Uh, Brad, we've had some nice rain already, but I guess the big question I feel is when can Territorians expect to see that first monsoonal burst for the season? I think Territorians can look forward to their first monsoonal burst probably around late December into early January, but maybe even slightly later than that considering uh, we, we're expecting a delay to the onset or the arrival of the monsoonal trough over northern Australia. And so the Madden-Julian Oscillation, Brad, where is it at the moment? So right at the moment, Matt, models are indicating that it's in the Indian Ocean or over the Indian Ocean, um, and it's likely to move towards the maritime continent and the Western Pacific region sort of early December through to around about the 8th or 10th of December. And then at that point, it's likely to move out to the Western Hemisphere and away from um, any influence on Australian rainfall throughout the end of um, December. All right, so it's close by right now. Yeah, it's going to be pretty much passing. It's going to be fairly weak, but it's going to be passing over um, this part of the world over the next few days. Are we expecting some decent rain? I probably wouldn't expect decent rain out of it at this point. As I said, the MJ is fairly weak. Um, and at this point, it's still fairly uh, – its influence on rainfall is not usually hugely strong right at the moment, but it is going to start to build up as we get into the wet season. So, um, yeah, it may have some influence on rainfall over the northern top end, but at this stage, our outlooks are su- suggesting that it's still going to be below average rainfall, especially across the, the northern territory coastline. In terms of the rainfall that we saw in November, has it surprised the Bureau? Um are you talking about the Northern Territory generally or around Australia? Well, I guess the Territory and, and beyond. Um, yeah, look, it, it has, hasn't really sort of surprised us per se. We're aware that, you know, with an El Nino declaration, um, it doesn't necessarily mean there'll be no rain at all. There will still be rainfall events that occur, but the overall um, amounts of rain might be less than average as we, we work it out over the, the course of, say, like the summer period. Um, so at this stage, we're not hugely surprised that rainfall is occurring. I think we may be a little surprised with the intensity of the rainfall and the amount, but um, overall, we're not. As I said, each, each El Nino is different, so it's very hard to say. Just because we declared an El Nino, it's going to be dry. Um, we still will be expecting rainfall, um, you know, through through that kind of um, situation. And so, in terms of the three month outlook for Northern Australia. Uh, does the story remain a bit the same in terms of below average rainfall and above average temperatures? Yeah, so for the December 23 to February 24 period or the summer period, we're looking at a, a below average rainfall probably across the northern top end through the central uh, and Gulf regions as well. And in that southwestern corner of the Northern Territory, throughout the rest of the NT, we're looking at pretty much about average uh, rainfall conditions throughout that, those areas. And in terms of maximum and minimum temperatures, so their daytime and nighttime temperatures, we're looking at above average. The chance of above average um, temperatures are, are reasonably high throughout the, the entirety of the Northern Territory. And just finally, Brad Jackson, do you want to have a stab at when the first cyclone might whoop up in the north this season? Oh, million dollar, yeah. Million dollar question, Matt. Million dollar question. Um, I would, I would probably love to have a stab at it, but it'd be very um, professionally inappropriate for me to do that. Um, look, we're looking at aver- a below average number of cyclones uh, for the for the northern top end. Usually, we get three in a season. Um, that's on average. Um, so we're looking at less 
a, prob- a probability of less than that this season. It doesn't mean that one won't cross the coast, though, and one should always be prepared for one to actually cross the coast. So, mm. look, um, I can't say exactly when it's going to arrive, and I probably won't have a stab at it either, Matt. <laughs> but, look, if everyone can be prepared as they can be just in case one does form and come across the coast, then that would be very much appreciated. Thanks for your time. My pleasure, Matt. You have a good day. Hello. Timmy Jawa Brodawanga from Yirkala. You're listening to the Country Hours. Take me home, country road, (laughs) to the place I belong. (laughs) Our text number here at the Country Hours, 0487 991057. Got a question here that says, a question to put to the Weather Bureau. How did the bomb make forecasts about the monsoon's arrival before computer models were around? Good question. We'll ask the uh, the senior forecaster when we have a chat to them at five past one. Earlier on, we were talking about some research by the seafood industry looking into ways to attract and retain more female workers in the seafood sector. Got a text here from Jimmy who says, toughest bull rider that I've ever met was a woman. She got me into rodeo in the first place, says Jimmy. Sheilas and blokes are pretty darn equal. Some older blokes just don't get that, says Jimmy on 04-8799-1057. Too right, Jimmy. I can tell you that uh, of uh, my three siblings... It was Maria, well and truly the toughest in our family, well and truly. I think she would have loved working in the commercial seafood sector too. She would have loved it. Uh, We've got plenty to come in the second half. We'll be heading to Alice Springs to see how the cleanup is going. Uh, Were you in the Alice yesterday afternoon at about four o'clock? It was a wild, wild storm. I've got a note here from Power and Water saying all but 100 customers have now got their power restored. So that's a big effort there in the Alice. Uh, we'll get all the information after the one o'clock news. So I'll see you back here in five minutes. G'day, my name is Floyd. Yeah, I work in the Spanish mackerel fishery and in the Gulf of Carpentaria. I love what I do and love my job and you're listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. Dr Mark Shipp, Australia's Chief Vet. Now there's a fellow who's been on the Country Hour plenty of times over the years. Today is his last day on the job. He's retiring after a 30-year tenure with the Department of Ag. He has seen a lot, and before 1.30, he's got one final message for you, I think. Uh, He and some of his colleagues have got concerns about a particular strain of bird flu. You'll be learning more about H5N1 before 1.30 on the Country Hour. And we will be crossing to Alice Springs to find out how the clean-up is going after that wild storm that swept through town yesterday. Before we do that, let's go to the Weather Bureau and Juliet Barson is there this afternoon. Uh, Juliet, that storm through the Alice at about four o'clock yesterday. Can you give us a sense on what was happening to create that supercell? 
Uh, well, um, there was a trough in the area, so there was a strong trigger. If you look on the satellite, you could see that there was an air mass boundary pushing up from the south, and there was a, a good, well-structured line of these thunderstorms and even um, some splitting action that you can see. So there was just all of those necessary ingredients came together with the moisture and the instability um, and the triggers and led to the perfect storm. A supercell. How strong did the winds get? At the airport, we recorded 113 kilometres per hour, which is meets the damaging and is just under destructive. But um, I believe from the observations that it was potentially uh, windier and more more impacts felt in town. So the the winds they could have experienced in town could have been over that. Yeah. And uh, just looking at the radar, it's uh, fairly blue skies at the moment in the centre, but it looks like there's a few storms potentially out in the Barkley as we go to air. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So we've had a drier air mass move in, which has mostly cleared off the, the showers and thunderstorms in the south. Still a very slight chance of maybe possibly having some thunderstorms or some dry lightning, uh, mainly tomorrow, um, but not expecting any more severe thunderstorm action in the south. That that action is all moving over east now into Queensland. Um, so we're currently seeing some fairly garden variety thunderstorms over the um, further north, over the, the Gregory and the ba- uh, northern Barkley and over the top end. Um, so tomorrow, uh, however, there's a, a chance that we might see some slow-moving thunderstorms over the Barkley, which might produce some heavy rainfall. And sorry, did you describe them as garden variety storms? Is that what you said? Yes, it's a <laughs> colloquial term that means yeah. ordinary, I guess. I'm just uh, writing <laughs> that severe. down as a new little thing I can say on the radio. Yeah, nice one. Um, what about the weekend ahead? For the Territory at large, what can people expect, especially when it comes to rainfall? Mm, so not very much rainfall um, over the the Tanami, the Lassiter and the Simpson and just a slight chance heading uh, a bit further north into Tennant Creeks, just looking at a slight chance um, over the weekend. And, and then as we head into Sunday, Alice Springs might be in with a slight chance of some rainfall, um, but it's really going to be quite backed off from what we've been experiencing. Oh, oh. Okay. Well, we, we just had one of your colleagues on with the long-range forecast, and yes, it uh, it remains quite similar. The chances are for a below-average rainfall and above-average temperatures, and potentially we won't see yes. a monsoonal burst until right at the end of the year or even into early mid-Jan. Sadly, that is yeah. possible. But I can feel the crossed. audience sort of, you know, the old shoulders going down a little bit. Oh. But the bureau's been wrong before. Let's face it. So you yeah, know, there's yeah, a chance. We can always, <laughs> can, it can happen. There's things are statistical, so you, you can things can play out differently. Got a question from our mm. audience for you, Juliet. Uh, the question was, how did the bureau make forecasts, especially around monsoon arrival, before there were computer models? Oh, gosh, that might be before my time, I oh, think. Well, I'm sure it is, wasn't. Julia. Yeah. Um, mm, um, I don't know, but I know that one of the the um, more um, 
manual techniques is we'd look at um, a big, and we still do look at this, we look at a, a big uh, gradient wind analysis and we see globally um, what the high pressure systems are doing in the north and uh, if you have really strong high pressure systems in the north that will potentially translate into winds flowing across the equator um, at something like two weeks afterwards and so there's all these really broad scale uh, fundamental stuff you can try to look at but um, it's a bit of a dark art and it's <laughs> much easier to look at computer models these days. <laughs> and Rick says the monsoonal weather would always be from the northeast swinging to northwest winds except for cyclonic type winds. Anything from the west or south just build up storms. I was here in the 70s says Rick. Uh, we'll just take that as a as a statement this afternoon from listener Rick. Thank you for your time this afternoon, Juliet. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a great day. That's Juliet Barzen there at the Weather Bureau. If you were in the Alice yesterday at about mm, four o'clock in the afternoon, how's the storm for you? That that squeal of shock is our very own rural reporter Victoria Ellis, who joins us from the Alice now. <laughs> have you have you calmed down there, Tori? Uh, I have calmed down. It's, the sun is shining now. You and, and in fact, only as soon as the storm passed through, the sun came back out. But that that was yeah. I walked outside. You could sort of see the wind blowing throughout the windows from from inside. I walked outside, opened the door. You could hear the rain just gushing down. The trees, all the leaves on the trees were blowing sideways. I was videoing and there was this flash of lightning and it was so close to me. I reckon it was less than 20 metres away and I turned and I could just catch on on my camera the, uh, the some sparks flying. So it was a bit, a bit of, bit of uh, drama for my afternoon yesterday. <laughs> Quite a lot of sparks. I'll be honest, if that happened to me, my, my squeal might have been even just a bit <laughs> higher, I actually think, uh, Tori. Um, how's things looking around town? this afternoon. Yeah, well, I'm currently standing on Gap Road, which of course runs through the Gap, which is the central suburb of Alice Springs. And there's just a lot of branches on the ground. There's leaves and debris covering the road. I mean, most of it has been cleared away now, but you can still see lots of like the smaller leaf matter around. And some trees have even been sort of blown out of like off. Their roots obviously weren't deep enough and they've been pushed over. I drove through the Gap um, this morning and quite a big gum tree I saw was blown over. There's been a little bit of water pulling in the Todd River. A trickle, I would say, though. Definitely not flowing. Mm. Um, so just a bit of mess, and a lot of people have been cleaning up today. Okay, and I've got a note here. I don't know if this has come through to you yet, Tori. Power and Water saying that yes. there's only 100 customers who still don't have power, but everyone's back online, which is great news. Well, apparently there are some areas of Araloo and Bradshaw, Gillen and the South Gap that are still without power. But again, that's less than 100 people. And hopefully that power and water can get that up before too long. Beauty. And sort of what sort of stories are you hearing from people? In the cleanup. A lot of stories of people with big branches. Actually, just my next door neighbours had a big gum tree branch go through their roof, making a little bit of a puncture hole through there. Um, otherwise, other stories that I've been hearing is uh, 
branches and big trees over carports, spending fences. That's the sort of thing, really. It's not as big from what I've heard compared to the storm cell that went through this time last year, but still enough to disrupt people's mornings and, you know, require a bit of effort and cleaning up. And I've seen a couple of cars head out to the tip with big branch loads in the back of their ute trays and stuff this morning as well. Uh, your colleague Lee Robinson's been travelling around town as well and has had a chat to Andre Sawenko. Uh, this is Andre's experience of yesterday's storm. Yeah, so it was about 4pm yesterday uh, and I was inside doing some work uh, when this you know huge storm cell just sort of rolled through out of the blue. A huge amount of rain and wind, you know, the dog freaking out. Uh, so I wandered outside to check out what was happening and it was just, it was pelting down, hail coming down, winds ferocious, everything. And, uh, and it just took down my huge acacia tree that you can see in the front yard, about a 15 metre tree that's then taken a couple of other trees out and the fence with it. Um, and so now this morning I've got a huge clean up on my hands. And you said you're lucky before, it almost uh, could have been a bit worse, right? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I, I had my, my van parked right next to the tree here. And, uh, you know, it's luckily it's, it's missed the van. Um, I mean, the roots are pushed up and actually pushed into the front of the van. Um, and, but look, you know, it could, have, it could have taken out the house, it could have taken out the van, it could have taken out, you know, anyone, the dog. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, look, I, I guess I'm a bit lucky, but at the same time, uh, you know, now I've got a fence to fix and uh, insurance to deal with. Yeah, so tell me about this next process. What's the clean-up process for you now? I can see you've already started a bit of that. Yeah, look, it's, um, you know, I've had to borrow a chainsaw off a mate um, and then just, you know, cut it up into little bits. Hopefully the council steps in and helps out with, uh, you know, some stuff that's on the on the footpath and the nature strip. Um, I guess that's what they do. But until then, um, I mean, I'm sure they've got their hands full and I'll just do what I can. That is Alice Springs resident Andre Sawenko speaking there to Lee Robinson. The cleanup continues and the lights are coming back on. So I'll just share with you this statement that's come through from Power and Water about 30 minutes ago. It says all but 100 customers have had their power restored in the Alice after crews worked through the night to respond to the impact of yesterday's supercell storm. That's the language being used. Power and Water says at the height of this storm, around 5,500 customers lost power to their premises with trees and debris damaging power lines. By early this morning, the majority of customers had their power safely restored. It does say that some areas of Araluan, Bradshaw, Gillen and South Gap are still without power. And if you see a power line on the ground, stay away from it and call Power and Water Corp on 1800 245 G'day, my name is Heather Smythe. I'm a sensory scientist and flavour specialist and my job is to make food more delicious. And you're listening to The Country Hour. It is 17 past one. Beef and lamb prices at the local supermarket this year have been pretty expensive, haven't they? Now, they are starting to come down in value a bit and today, Meat and Livestock Australia has launched a summer campaign to try and get more Aussies to get out there and buy more beef and lamb. This ad stars Sam Kekovic, who's long been associated with MLA's lamb ads on Australia Day. Uh, This time around, he's joined by rugby league legend Sam Thiday. Here's a listen. 
That beef's looking tremendous, Sam. Sure is. Your farmers have outdone yourself this year. You've got some nerve coming around these parts. We ain't got no beef with you, Kekovic. Obviously, lamb is Australia's favourite meat. From koftas, missile, eros and chops to your Sunday roast. Well, I reckon that beef deserves to be on everyone's plate. We've got all the crowd favourites. Burgers, steak, salad, tacos, sangers and snacks. I reckon there's room for both on the barbie. There's plenty to go around too. I love meat. Yeah, me too. Beef and lamb. Great value this summer. There you go, the new MLA ad. Cattle and sheep producers around the nation will be hoping it works. It has been a pretty tough year for the livestock producers. In a statement, MLA's outgoing managing director, Jason Strong, said this campaign aims to support the industry at a time when sale yard prices have declined through a large part of 2023. He says this new ad is helping us reach out to Australian shoppers to illustrate that red meat is great value leading up to Christmas. Now's a great time to pick up some Australian beef and lamb, says Jason Strong. And yes, if you missed the country hour yesterday, then you might have missed that news that he has announced his resignation. He's stepping down Oh, in a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, Uh, that's an announcement that has shocked quite a few people in the industry. Uh, Who will be his replacement? We will have to wait and see. Across the territory on the ABC, this is the Country Hour. Australia has had a number of small outbreaks of avian influenza over the years, but thankfully he's been free of a particular strain that's called H5N1. Now, Australia's chief vet says this strain has been spreading around the globe and he's concerned that it could get into this country, most likely through northern Australia. Dr Mark Ship, and it's his last day today, he says this strain of bird flu has caused widespread bird deaths overseas and it's crucial for the poultry industry and for native bird populations that we keep it out. So the uh, strain of bird flu that we're concerned about is called H5N1, which refers to the protein makeup of the virus and a particular clade of that virus uh, known as 2344B. Uh, So it's a a very particular strain of this uh, bird influenza virus, which has caused mass mortalities in uh, Europe and uh, the North America Uh, both in poultry and in wild birds and in uh, a number of uh, wild mammals. How concerned are you that this might reach Australia? We've been watching this uh, for a couple of years now. Uh, It's caused uh, over 100 million uh, bird mortalities and and loss of uh, poultry in uh, Europe and and North America. So we're, we're very concerned that it might enter Australia. At this stage, only Australia and Antarctica are the two continents that are free of the virus, and uh, we hope we can keep it uh, that way. But uh, if we do have the virus enter, then uh, we'll have to deal with it, and and we believe that we're well prepared for that. Would it enter through northern Australia, through the Northern Territory and places like that? 
that, that's where we are focusing our surveillance and every year we collect um, about a thousand wild bird samples across northern Australia because of the migratory birds coming into northern Australia. We trap them on the tidal uh, areas, the, the waterways uh, up there that attract uh, migratory water birds and we sample them uh, every year looking uh, for exotic influenza viruses. So far, we've not found uh, this virus uh, in Australia, uh, but we continue to monitor that uh, closely and, and continue to uh, monitor the risk and, and share information about it uh, with states and territories and with wildlife groups and uh, work with them on addressing that risk. Does the flu pose any threat to humans or is it only bird life that could be affected? This particular uh, virus uh, has only infected a small number of uh, people and that, that's quite surprising given how uh, fatal it is in uh, poultry and wild birds and a number of wild mammals. Uh, but it has had uh, widespread effects in uh, poultry, in water birds and other wild birds and in spillover to mammals such as uh, seals and dolphins, uh, foxes, uh, mink and anything that eats uh, a dead or, or sick uh, wild bird uh, is likely to become infected. What would be the flow-on impacts if birds were dying and those other animals were dying for Australia's um, economy or, or industries that revolve around those sorts of things or, or are connected to those things? What sort of other impacts could this flu have apart from the bird deaths themselves? We've been fortunate in Australia that we've not had very many uh, avian influenza outbreaks of this high pathogenicity uh, type where they do occur, uh, they result in trade uh, impacts, so we're not able to export uh, chicken meat, eggs um, and, and poultry products. Uh, but uh, there's also the, the concern, particularly with this virus, that uh, what would be the impacts on uh, our native uh, birds, and, and we know that a number of our native birds would be uh, very susceptible uh, to, to this virus. You did already mention some of the monitoring and surveillance works that are underway in Northern Australia, but is there anything else that's being done to sort of combat this threat? So we're working with a number of uh, government agencies and committees uh, on the risk. Uh, so we're working with the state and territory uh, chief veterinary officers, uh, with the Environment and Invasives Committee, which uh, has responsibility for uh, conservation and, and wildlife. We're working with Wildlife Health Australia, uh, who are managing uh, the, the risk communication and, and producing guidelines on how to deal with an outbreak that were to occur in wild birds. We're increasing our surveillance and awareness in Northern Australia, particularly through the Northern Australian Quarantine Strategy. And uh, we're working with our health uh, counterparts uh, because although the, the risk to human health is small, uh, there is that risk there. So we're working uh, with the Communicable Diseases Network of Australia, communicating what we know about the risk and, and where uh, it is uh, appearing. For example, it, it uh, was recently detected in a, a sub-Antarctic island and that, that's the closest it's become to uh, Antarctica. So we, we're continuing to be concerned about its, its further spread. That is Australia's Chief Vet, Dr Mark Ship, speaking to Victoria Ellis and Dr Ship's last day on the job is today. He's retiring after a 30-year tenure with the Department of Agriculture. We wish him all the best. Now, just quickly, another reminder for you. 5.30 this afternoon, Tales from the Tinny, its third last episode. Tales. 
Bubbles from the tinny. Throw them out, slowly bring it back. If there wasn't Barra there, you wouldn't be there, but that's that's what makes the Territory special. You can see 54 set of eyes around. 54 Crazy. sets of croc eyes. I'm not even exaggerating, there's that many crocs. Subscribe to the podcast. Minister, what's your biggest Barra? Minister, can you demonstrate your proficiency at tying an FG knot? Minister, are you capable of re-spooling your own reels? Minister. Catch it from 5.30 today on ABC Radio Darwin. I still can't believe that the tinny is on its way out. Three episodes to go. Make sure you catch that one this afternoon at 5.30 or via their podcast. Hope you've enjoyed today's Country Hour. All the best for your Friday afternoon and keep it rural.